Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Hallelujah. How many of you were here Sunday night? Amen. We had a, uh, an unusual move of the Spirit Sunday night. And uh, just a, a special uh, move of the Spirit in the area of giving. And uh, a lot of people came forward and just gave a, you know, it's a spontaneous uh, offering for the building fund. I think it come, came to, we're not sure because some more came in tonight, uh, but around $3,500, $3,500, praise God, for the building fund, praise God. And, uh, you know, I've been around... Uh, these kinds of things for a long, long time. And I've seen that type of thing manipulated. I've seen it uh, uh, brought on by unscrupulous leaders trying to, to raise money and trying to work the crowd and, and so forth. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's terrible. God help me from ever being involved in anything like that. But when the spirit's behind it, when it's of the spirit, uh, it's a tremendous thing. I know uh, Brother Doug got up, you know, and, and uh, to receive the offering, and, and he started talking about the building fund and got all stirred up, and then Brother Steve got up, and he got all stirred up. Brother Doug told me after church, he said, I went into the pulpit, and he said, sitting there in, in church before I took up the offering, even when I got in the pulpit, he said, when I went up, he said, the, I hadn't even thought about the building fund. Hadn't even entered my mind, hadn't thought about it, hadn't thought about talking about the building fund, wasn't thinking anything about it. It just came up out of my spirit and I started sharing it and God just took hold, praise God. And, uh, and you know, when that happens, there's a reason for that. Amen. And, and it's not just to bless the building fund. It's a way of supernaturally uh, jump-starting, so to speak, a blessing in your life. I know a few years ago we had a, a, a situation like that where the Spirit of God just moved in that way and it was just spontaneous, it hadn't been planned, uh, just, uh, and God just moved and, and, you know, giving. And I think it was to the building fund. And, uh, you know, uh, was it, uh, yeah, Bruce and Cindy Black was here, but was it uh, uh, PG or was it Steve or was it you that Sunday night brought out the connection where you bless my house. God said, you know, you, you, if you bless my house with that brother Steve, then I'll bless your house. And, uh, and we saw that a few years ago when a similar situation like this, people came to the building fund and Bruce and Cindy Black were here and they were led to, to uh, just raise an offering for the, for the building fund. And I'm gonna tell you for a traveling minister to do that, that is a, that's a move of God, I can tell you that. <laughs> and... Uh, but as a result of that, there was a whole slew all in our congregation. I mean, uh, an unusual number of people in the, in the weeks and months right after that got new houses. You remember, you, those, those of you remember that? I mean, it wasn't, not everybody, but it was just an, a, a definite uptick, a definite increase. Just people just started getting new houses. And it were people that gave into that offering, you know. And I'm not promising any new houses. But I'm just saying God sets you up to bless you. Amen. And, huh? Yes, we need to sell some houses. Amen. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, God moved and people got new houses. And all those people still have those houses. Amen. Or else they've traded up since then. But, uh, but I tell you, God is, God is good. He knows what he's doing. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
Thank God for the move of the Spirit. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, last week, I started uh, what uh, I intend tonight to be the second and final part of a two-part series. Was Jesus poor? Was Jesus poor? And we started out reading, and you don't have to turn there because we're not going to go through uh, all of the scriptures we went through last time just to save some time. But we pointed out in uh, uh, the Gospels that Jesus talked about the danger of traditions. He said, you, you, you lay hold of your traditions, but in order to lay hold of your traditions, you have to turn loose of the word of God. You have to, you have to give up on the word of God to hold to your traditions. And so the traditions of men, when they're contrary to the word of God, can really be costly. They can really hurt you. They can really result in a lot of, uh, of destruction in your life because you have to, again, you have to give up the truth in order to hold something that's not true. And one of the most prevailing traditions concerning the Lord Jesus Christ is that he was poor. It's widely held. Uh, it's been uh, preached and taught and for so long, like I said last week, it's been, it's been taught for so long and said for so long and repeated so often and really literally for hundreds and hundreds of years, this concept has been foisted on, on the church and on the world that Jesus was poverty stricken, that, you know, that he was little more than a vagabond. I mean that uh, now in a, not in a, a, a trashy kind of sense of the word, but that he, 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 he was this dignified poor man. In fact, his poverty uh, and, and, and the way he conducted himself uh, while being so poor uh, in, in, in this traditional idea, it, it elevates poverty to a, to a high place. It makes uh, godly poverty to be a noble thing. And so Jesus is pictured in religion to have been, you know, this, this poverty-stricken uh, person who just, you know, had barely had enough to get by. His, his disciples were little more than, than uh, uh, you know, just ragged gutter snipes, you know, just, I mean, just urchins that just barely just scraped out, you know, almost went through garbage cans, you know, to get their, to get their supplies. I mean, just barely eked out a living on the, on the generosity and the uh, charity, you know, of, of whatever was left for them. That's what they lived on. And so that, that image of Jesus is very prevailing. Yeah, how many of you understand that? You're looking at me, do you understand that's true? You know that to be true. Well, if, if that's true, it does magnify and uh, cause poverty to be noble, doesn't it? Doesn't it elevate poverty if Jesus was, was poor and godly at the same time? Doesn't it, do, it, 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 it deifies or, or uh, uh, makes poverty noble? But on the other hand, if that's true, and we know that it is true that many people believe that, that, uh, uh, you know, that poverty equals piety. Well, if that's true and, and, and that works that way, what if, what if, we actually find out from the scriptures that the opposite is true. That Jesus was, was not only not poor, he was actually pro, uh, prosperous. He actually did quite well. He actually was well off. If we can find that from the scriptures, what does that do? Does that not elevate and make noble, uh, make prosperity noble? It, it, it should, if all things are being equal. 
If we can find, because doesn't the scripture say that Jesus came and left us an example that we should follow in his steps? Well, that would be in, in, in every way he conducted himself. So if we find from the scriptures that Jesus was in fact prosperous and not only had enough, but had more than enough, then that, that, that requires a shift in, in people's thinking. If, if you're honest. Now, if you want to hold to your tradition, you know, fine. But if you're honest with the, with the truth and with the word of God, that, that, would, that would cause you to look at prosperity in a different way and poverty in a different way. Amen? So we, we pointed out and we started that, uh, and pointed out and started to point out that the record is really clear that Jesus was a prosperous person. And, uh, you know, the Bible says in both the Old and the New Testament, I read it again today, I was reading 2 Corinthians, and, and again, Paul made the statement, he said, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And so that's a good scriptural guide, guideline that, you know, you don't establish doctrine or, or truth based on one isolated scripture or, you know, one example of something, but in the mouth of two or three witnesses. In other words, it has to be something, a concept that's repeated in scripture in order for you to, to, um, uh, base a doctrine or build a doctrine on that. And it has to be consistent with all the rest of the scripture. Well, I, I looked up, I didn't even count this up until, uh, this afternoon. I started last week and I had all this, but I didn't really, uh, I had it numbered, but didn't pay attention. There's 14 points here. 14 different scriptural proofs that Jesus was not poor. In fact, that he was well off. Amen. And so we started number one with his birth. And uh, like I said, you know, Jesus has been depicted, you know, as poor all of his life. Born in a manger, you know, in a stable. Lived his life, you know, with nothing. Uh you know, didn't have, traveled around all of his life, didn't have any place to lay his head. Poor Jesus, just a vagabond. Uh, he died on a cross, didn't even have his own tomb, buried in a, in a borrowed tomb. Poor old Jesus, you know. But we've, we found out that uh, at his birth, he, he wasn't in a manger because they didn't have room. His parents had money for an end because they were looking for an end. The, re, the Bible says the reason he wasn't in the end was the hotel, motel, was because there was no room in it. And, and it says the end, would indicate, which would indicate that in Bethlehem there was only one motel, okay? And only one place to stay and there were a lot of people from out of town and uh, there was no room there. Now, if, if the reason really was because they were broke, then it would be deceiving for the scriptures to say because he was, in, he was born in the manger in the stable because there was no room in the inn. But if that wasn't the reason, then that's an untrue statement. Isn't that right? So that was the reason. And if that was the reason, it wasn't, money wasn't the reason. So we know that uh, uh, that explains why he was born in a manger. In his early life, we found out as just a, a young child, uh, the Magi came from the east bearing gifts. And they came to worship him as the king of the Jews. They, they came looking for an actual, in other words, they, they knew it was a baby, they knew it was a child, but that he was the king of the Jews. And they came with gifts befitting a king. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, costly things. We'll talk tonight about some costly things that associated with Jesus' ministry. 
And uh, so, so we know that Jesus's parents, you know, were, were not poor because they had enough money to travel. And then they're giving the, given this extra deposit of this gold and frankincense and myrrh. And the angel appeared to Joseph and said, you know, the uh, Herod's going to try to kill Jesus. You need to go into Egypt. So it costs money to take your wife and, and newborn child and go into another uh, land. And so they, you know, they took, uh, or, or young, young child, took Mary and young child Jesus and traveled and stayed there until Herod died and then returned. That takes money to do that. Well, evidently they had it. And, uh, and so the gold, no doubt, uh, uh, caused them to be fairly prosperous. I, you know, if somebody throws a gold coin at you, that's one thing, but you don't, you know, you don't bring just a few coins to a king. You bring a substantial gift to a king. Isn't that right? And so that must've been a lot of money, but we don't have a real, uh, uh, answer for that. You know, we don't have an actual, uh, figure for how much it was, uh, at 12 years of age, we see his family traveling to Jerusalem. It takes money to, to travel and stay and so forth. Uh, as a young man, he worked a respectable trade. Uh, he was a carpenter, and he was well-known as a carpenter because later in his ministry, when he returned to Nazareth, people said, oh, we know him. He's, he's, the, he's the son of Joseph. He's the carpenter. So, so Jesus worked a respectable job. Now, it, you know, it's interesting that Jesus knew he was called even when he was a kid. When he was 12 years old, remember in the temple when his parents went to Jerusalem, you know, and, and uh, they left and they thought he was in the company of their relatives and they got in some distance, you know, away and they started searching for him and found, found that he wasn't there, returned to Jerusalem and they found him in the temple and he said, well, you know, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? He, he was a very preco pre pre precocious kid and uh, he knew who he was. He knew he was called to the ministry. He was wise beyond his years. But even knowing that he was called to the ministry, you know, he didn't enter into the ministry until he was 30. And he didn't sit around and just wait till he was 30 years old for his time to come. He worked. He had a job. I've known of a lot of people, Pastor Angel and I have, you know, over the years that they felt like they were called to the ministry. And so they're just sitting around waiting, you know, for their ministry to come. You know, doing nothing. Well, guess what? He's not coming. That's not the way you get there. Amen. He worked a regular job, and, and, and we can assume that he prospered because of that. Isn't that right? Uh, his, uh, his, uh, in, his, in his ministry, he had partners. We talked about, found from Luke chapter 8, the different people who contributed to his ministry. And one of them in particular was a, a woman of, of means, a woman of wealth. And they contributed to his ministry. So, uh, again, he had partners, ministry partners <clears throat> that helped him. And then we answered the question of whether or not Jesus was homeless. And we've already alluded to that verse that everybody likes to look at, you know, that Jesus said, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so people have taken that and taken, well, that's a snapshot of Jesus' poverty. But we found out, we looked at the context, the broader context in Luke chapter 9, and we found out that Jesus had just been uh, shunned in the city of, of Samaria because the Samaritans didn't like Jews to begin with. And Jesus went there, and his, his attention was toward Jerusalem, and they had offended them. And so they uh, rejected him and didn't allow him any lodging in Samaria that particular night. And so that had just happened to him. So that explains that. Uh, we also found out that Jesus had a home base. 
He had a hometown. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth, and he stayed in Nazareth until he was 30 years old, until he began his ministry. He began a a traveling ministry, and he moved away from Nazareth to Capernaum. Now, it was a good move because when he came back to Nazareth sometime later to minister, uh, the people didn't receive him because they knew him. They said, well, we know this man. How does he have all of these things? Who does he think he is? We know him, he's the carpenter. We know his, his, his brothers and sisters and his mother and his whole family. And Jesus said, well, you, you really can't help people in, when in your own company and your own kin. He said, uh, you know, no prophet is accepted in his own, among his own people. So it was necessary for him to, to move away and to have a base somewhere else. That base was the city of Capernaum. That's where Jesus lived. We pointed that out in um, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2. That uh, he lived in Capernaum. He had a traveling ministry, but he had a home base and he had a house. Scriptures tell you, you look these verses up. We're not going to read them tonight. We read them last week. But he had a house there that, uh, that he based his ministry out of. He had a place to live. And then I think uh, lastly, last week we pointed out the fact that uh, whenever there was a question about uh, tax money, Jesus sent his disciples to fish. And he said, the first fish that you take up, look in his mouth. And uh, they did, and there was a coin in there, a money, money in there to pay their taxes. You know, that was a uh, supernatural supply. Amen. Now, Jesus worked as a carpenter because it's people are supposed to work. But then when he went into the ministry, uh, he had partners who supported his ministry. And that's scriptural. And, uh, but when there were unusual situations and unusual needs, and un, you know, there was unusual provision. See, that tells us that God, when we're doing what God's called us to do, when we're faithful, we're diligent, we're doing what God's instructed us to put our hand to, if something unusual comes up, God can provide it. Amen, he will provide. And provide it uh, very uh, uh, well. I mean, there was enough money in that fish's mouth to pay their taxes whenever they were confronted with multitudes of people that uh, needed to be fed. Well, the, the, the miracle provision of God was there to turn the, the few small fish. At one time, uh, the disciples, he, Jesus said, well, you feed the people. And they said, well, Lord, you know, there's so many people out here. Are we going to go into town and buy 200 denarii uh, worth of food? Now, we'll find out tonight that 300 denarii was equivalent to a year's wage, a year's wage for a worker. So that 200 was two-thirds of a year's salary for an entire worker. And the disciples estimated that's what it would cost to feed that crowd. Well, you know, God can provide the money or he can just provide the food. Amen. Amen. Either way, the need was met. Amen. Amen. That was a a, a remarkable thing. Thousands of people, probably 15, 20,000 people were fed. Praise God. Now, let's, uh, let's go tonight into some new territory. Go with me over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Are you out there tonight? Praise the Lord. You live? Amen. Alert. Praise God. Hallelujah. John chapter 12. Hallelujah. 
Verse number one. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Now, Bethany was just a, a, a Sabbath day's journey from Jerusalem, which is about two miles away. Uh, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been raised from the dead, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. That is, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were Bible scholars agree that the evidence indicates that they were well-to-do. See, Jesus had places to go and places to stay even when he was on the road, even when he was away from home. He had certain people that provided for him on the road and gave him lodging. And, and uh, it, uh, according to this, at least occasionally, they were upper crust people, people of means. And it says uh, they made a supper for him, actually for him and his disciples. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled, filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now, this spikenard was imported usually in alabaster boxes, which was uh, uh, alabaster, I think, is that some kind of a gem, gem of some kind? Anyway, a stone of sorts. And... Uh, they were imported and sealed and people would break them open and use them on special occasions because they were very expensive. <clears throat> and it says um, that she opened this and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. It was a very uh, fragrant perfume and oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And uh, in the margin of my Bible, it says that's about one year's wages for a worker. So this bottle of perfume uh, that they poured, she, Mary poured on his feet was worth uh, about or the equivalency of, of one year's wages. And so Judas Iscariot said, well, why was this fragrant oil not sold for, for all of this money and the money given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now this tells us several things. First of all, it tells us that they had a money box because Judas was, he had the money box. Now, the older King James says money bag, I think. Uh, this word actually can be translated box or it can be translated chest, treasure chest. And there are some translations that, that translate it that way. Um, we've had the idea in the past that that Judas had, you know, a small little bag, you know, with, with, uh, you know, with a string pulled at the top, you know, and just a few coins in it. But the word would indicate that it was a larger box. We'd call it money box, cash box, I guess. And so Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth Evangelistic Association, Jesus of Capernaum Evangelistic Association, had some money. So they weren't poor. And they didn't just have a few coins. They had enough that they had it in a, in, in, a, in a treasure chest sort of a box. And they had enough that they had to have a treasure. Judas was the treasurer of the group. Well, 
a poor organization doesn't need a treasurer. And, uh, and people who are poor don't need to designate one person to carry all of their measly little uh, crumbs of, of uh, survival. Isn't that right? So they, they, we see that Jesus and his team uh, had money enough that they needed uh, to carry it in a box. And they had to have a treasurer look out for it, you know, to take care of it. And the treasurer was actually a thief. Now, isn't that interesting that on Jesus' staff, one of his officers, one of the leaders, I mean, he's the treasurer. That's a pretty, how many of you believe that's an important job? In any organization, the treasurer is important. Jesus' treasurer was a thief. I, that, you know, that, that, uh, that just raises a lot of, uh, of questions and, 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 and just speaks to a lot of things. You know, you can, you, can, you can do everything right. You can do everything right and still have some wrong people around you. And, you, and sometimes, you know, the, the devil will say, well, if, you, if you'd really been listening to the Holy Ghost, you'd have known better than that. And you, you'd, have, you'd have dealt with that. Now, wait a minute. What about Jesus? Now, we don't know that Jesus didn't know, but we know at least that the other disciples didn't know because there's not any hint anywhere in the, in the New Testament that any of the others ever suspected that he was a thief, which, which means that they had enough money that Ju- because Judas was taking money out of, the, out of the box. He was stealing money. He was embezzling the funds, but they had to have had enough or, or sufficient amount to not notice it. I mean, when you've only got, you know, if you're poor and you're living, you know, just hand to mouth, you know, day to day, barely making it, and you've just got a few little dollars, you know, somebody in, in the team steals it, you're going to know it. Isn't that right? Because, well, wait a minute, we don't, we, we don't even have enough to eat today. What happened? No, they had enough money that they had an embezzler and weren't even aware of it. Well, again, that does not point to poverty. That points to, to provision. That points to prosperity. They had enough and, uh, and more than enough. You, if, you, if you have enough that somebody can steal from you and you don't know it, you've got a pretty good amount, okay? Somebody can steal from you and you don't know it, then you're pretty well off or stupid. <laughs> Amen. So... Um, it says that he didn't care for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and used to take what was put in it, Jesus said, you know, leave her alone. She's, she's kept this for the day of my, of my burial. For the poor you have with you always. And in, in another location, I think it's Mark chapter 14, I think, one of the other uh, versions of this, he said you have the poor with you always and whenever you want to, you can help them. He said, but you won't have me forever. And uh, now let's go from there over to the 13th chapter because there's something else associated with that. The 13th chapter of John. And let's look at verse 27. Now this, of course, is the story of uh, Jesus, the, uh, the night that he was betrayed. He's washing the disciples' feet. 
giving them the new covenant or the new commandment of the new covenant, giving them some last-minute instructions. Uh, this is when they had communion together. And uh, let's, let's, let's start, on, instead of verse 27, let's start, uh, let's start in verse, four, uh, verse 21. Jesus had said these things. He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, uh, evidently John. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot. Well, if you read the other accounts, he dipped and gave it to all of them. So that didn't just single him out. Uh, So he gave uh, to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, that is to Judas. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to Judas. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should, have, or he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately and it was night. So again, this tells us that they had money and that they had enough to provide for themselves. Notice they thought that Jesus was telling him to go buy those things we need for the feast. So they were accustomed to pay in their own way, were they not? Because that's what the disciples just assumed that he meant that, to go out and and spend the money and and buy the things that were needed. So they didn't just live on, on, uh, you know, just uh, in the sense of, of I mean, they had the supporters, they had income because he who preaches the gospel lives of the gospel and it's right for people to give uh, to support the ministry, but they weren't just living, you know, hand to mouth, barely getting along. They had enough to pay their own way. So the ministry was supporting them in, in, a, in a measure that uh, was above, certainly be above the poverty level. And uh, they said, well, maybe it's that he's telling him to go buy the things that we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So evidently, they customarily bought the things they needed. They customarily, when they had needs, when they had uh, supplies, you, know, you carry a, a team around of 13 people, Jesus and 12 disciples. And sometimes there were more. Sometimes there were, were as many as 70 people with them. Now, we don't know that he, that he provided for all of those. They might have provided for themselves. But certainly the 13, Jesus and the 12 disciples, Jesus provided, the ministry provided for them. Well, when you have 13 people traveling around, it costs money. I mean, it, it takes provision food and clothing and, 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 and all of the things that you need to live and to do the things that were required of them and to go the places they needed to go. They were accustomed to paying their own way. They had a, they had a treasurer, they had a treasure chest, and they had money to do it. And evidently they did that frequently because they thought that might be what he was doing or they thought he was given to the poor, which again must be something they did regularly. If they had never given anything to the poor, it wouldn't have popped into their mind. Well, I guess maybe Jesus is telling him to go give something to the poor. No, they thought that because it had happened in the past. They were accustomed uh, to Judas going out 
and uh, giving money out of, their, out of their treasure chest, out of their money box, giving to the poor. It must have been something they did routinely. Well, if, if they're given to the poor, then they're not the poor. <laughs> Isn't that right? No, they, they weren't the poor. They were the ones giving to the poor on a regular basis, evidently on a regular basis. Isn't that right? So that's, that's uh, again, shows that they were not poor, that they had the means to, to, they had more than they needed. They had enough to give away to be a blessing to others. Amen. Uh, and then going back again to uh, John chapter 12, let's look at one other thing. Verse number eight, we've read it, but let's look at it again. He said, the poor, John 12, eight, the poor you have with me always, you have with you always, but me you do not have. Notice Jesus made a distinction between himself and the poor. He said, you have the poor with you always, but me, you don't have always. So Jesus is saying, I, I'm not in that category. You have the poor, but you don't have me always. He said, he couldn't have been poor or he would have been in the category of the poor. No, he's separating himself and he's not identifying himself as being among the poor. Amen. Now, this perfume, let's look at it again. Uh, it says a pound of spikenard. Now, according to the Greek, it was about 12 ounces. 12 ounces of perfume, and it was worth a year's wage for a worker. How much would that be today? Huh? Huh? What do you think? For a worker. Yeah. Maybe 25, 30,000. Let's say 25,000. For a work, a laborer. Uh, it's 12 ounces. How much is that an ounce, Doug? I mean, uh, Dan? 25,000 dollars a year. Say 24,000 dollars a year. It's 2,000. 2,000 dollars an ounce. Now, I know that they sell perfume today. You can buy perfume for 2,000 dollars an ounce. I won't ask you ladies if you have any. I don't want anybody breaking into your house. Well, if they got $2,000 perfume, no telling what they have. <laughs> I'll tell you this, that my wife doesn't have any $2,000 ounce perfume. <laughs> and I use Old Spice if I use anything, and it's about $2 an ounce. <laughs> I know they sell perfume. Sometimes it can go for $2,000 an ounce. But not, how many people buy 12 ounces of it at a time? I, I'm asking a question. How, what kind of person buys $25,000 worth of perfume and just has it sitting around and just opens it up and pours it out? Huh? A person with a lot of money, a rich person. <laughs> so I'm just saying that... Uh, you know, Mary, Martha, and, and uh, Lazarus must have been pretty well off. Somebody was pretty well off. You have, you know, and you spend an entire way, year's wages for a common labor on your perfume. I, I predict it was probably a pretty decent supper they had. <laughs> it was probably quite a feast. Amen. Now, the, the question is raised, you know, Judas was offended. 
And, and it says in the other account, one of the other accounts, that the disciples were all offended. But they kept their mouth shut and Judas jumped out there, you know, and played point man. And, and uh, he, 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 he was probably the one that stirred the others up. Because he was really interested. He was interested in keeping that money. He wasn't interested in giving it to the poor. But uh, the question comes up. That seems, that seems extravagant. To take a, a, a year's you know, wage. And the, the money or the value of that. And pour it out on Jesus' feet. How could Jesus. Being the poor man. Being the personification of pious poverty, the noble poor man. How could he not be offended? How could he not at least be embarrassed at this extravagance that was shown to him? I mean, people today uh, criticize a lot of things, but you need to be careful what you criticize. Jesus wasn't the least bit uncomfortable or embarrassed or anything by this. In fact, he applauded it. He said, hey, this is a good thing she's done. Well, what kind of a person, what kind of a person would think that's all right? What kind of a person would not be shocked by that? I I guarantee you, I guarantee you absolutely that if tonight somebody brought $25,000 worth of, of anything and poured it on anybody's feet, Everybody here say, no, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Who in the, in the world, what are they thinking? That, that is ridiculous. What a waste. Wouldn't it be a waste? It depends on who you are. Isn't that right? Well, just who, who was Jesus? You have to consider who he was. Genesis 14, 19 said he was the most high God. That's who he was. You know, the Jehovah of the Old Testament is none other than Jesus of the New Testament. God most high. Exodus 9, 29 says the earth is the, earth is the Lord's. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Psalm 50, 10 says, every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are all mine. The world is mine and everything in it. He says, the silver and the gold is mine. It calls him the Lord of the whole earth. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory. I'm quoting 1 Chronicles 29. The victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you and you reign over all. Jesus, he wasn't offended because everything belongs to him. You know, a year's salary to him meant nothing. He was worth a whole lot more than that. I'm saying that it requires somebody who knows who they are to not be insulted or embarrassed or offended at that kind of extravagance. Well, praise God. Uh, That was number 10. If you're taking notes, you probably don't know the numbers, but uh, number 11, uh, turn to Luke 22. 
forgot to tell you the different numbers as we went down. Luke 22, 35. Nearing the end of his three years with the disciples, you know, very often he sent them out. He said, when you go, don't carry anything with you. Don't carry an extra change of clothes. Don't carry any money. Don't carry anything. Because a laborer is worthy of his hire. Now, he asked them, he said uh, in verse 35, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. So God provided for them. Everywhere they went, here the, the record is, they lacked nothing. So again, they couldn't have been poor. Again, everywhere they went, he sent them out with nothing, but evidently, everywhere they, everywhere they went, the ministry provided for them. Everywhere they went, they had food, they had clothes, they had whatever they needed, and uh, it, it, was, it came in supernaturally. Amen? Uh, go over to John chapter 19. That was 11, number 12, John 19. Verse 23, this is when Jesus was being crucified. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and, from, and for my clothing, they cast lots. You, you, soldiers don't cast lots for the clothing of, of poor criminals. <laughs> you know, the soldiers were well provided for. They worked for the government. They were civil servants. So they, they were well taken care of. And yet they lusted after Jesus's clothes. They coveted his clothes. It must have been nice clothes. If they were rags, who would have wanted them? They didn't want them because they valued Jesus or thought anything of him. They were nice clothes. And one of them was a tunic and it said it was woven, one garment. Sounds like an expensive garment to me. So Jesus had nice threads. That again, he wasn't poverty stricken. Now, now where did Jesus get these clothes? He didn't, he didn't weave it. Somebody did it for him. Maybe Martha. Maybe, maybe Mary Magdalene. Maybe some of the others. Maybe some of the others that followed him around. But Jesus was well provided for. And the evidence here is he had nice clothes. And then finally, not lastly, but, but next to last, uh, God's promise to the righteous. You know, let me just read you some scriptures about what the Bible says. Uh, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to the law that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Well, did Jesus meditate in the law day and night, you think? Well, then would he not make his way prosperous and have good success? Yeah. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. Of course, we know Jesus didn't live a long time because he came for the purpose of going to the cross. But uh, uh, his days would have been prosperous if the scripture is true. I mean, you know, if the promise of God doesn't apply to Jesus, who does it apply to? Isn't that right? Uh, 
Blessed is the man, you know this psalm, Psalm 1, verse 1, 2, 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He didn't. Nor stands in the path of sinners. He didn't. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He didn't. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. It was. In his law he meditates day and night. He did. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He was. Brings forth its fruit in its season. It did. Whose leaf all shall, shall not wither. It didn't. And whatever he does shall prosper. It did. I mean, if, 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 he didn't, if he didn't live out the reality of this, then nobody does. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If, if, I'm not, if I have the privilege and the promise of not being in want because the Lord is my shepherd, does it make sense that my shepherd would be in want? <laughs> uh, Psalm 34, 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. So did Jesus ever lack any good thing? He couldn't have. Uh, let them shout for joy, Psalm 35, who favor my, favor my righteous cause. Let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Who, uh, uh, Moffat's translation, God loves to see his servants prospering. Well, Jesus, God the Father, spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, he had to have been prospering then because it says he loves to see his servants prospering. Uh, Psalm 84, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk upright. Well, did Jesus qualify? Yeah, he qualified. And I could go on and on and on. You, and, and you've read these scriptures before, but there are a host of scriptures that promise prosperity to the righteous. Well, Jesus certainly qualified. So it only stands to reason that he would reap the benefits. Isn't that right? Jesus lived a life above the curse, <clears throat> didn't he? Now, everybody, everybody around him was sick you know, the multitudes were sick, but Jesus were never, was never sick. Why? Because, because he walked in the authority and the power that belonged to him. He knew who he was. He, he, he exercised faith and he reaped the benefit of it. Well, why wouldn't he exercise faith in the financial realm? And reap the, if that's a promise that belongs to the righteous, well, certainly he did. And then finally, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Religious wars have been waged over this passage. Oh, this isn't finally. This is only 14. I didn't count right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, re, I rewrote this note last week. Yeah, this is finally. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 2, 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Well, the question has, has always been raised, why, when did Jesus become poor? When was he rich and when did he become poor? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. Well, 
you know, you, you could, what most people say about this verse, they say, well, this isn't talking about actual uh, natural riches. This is talking about spiritual riches. Well, the whole chapter, though, chapter 8 and chapter 9 has to do with money. If you read the entire uh, uh, context, chapter 8 and chapter 9, it all has to do with money, earthly riches, actual moolah, actually, actual money. So why then would we be forced to assume that verse 9, he's not actually talking about money. He's just talking about spirit. Now, I know that it is possible that, you know, whenever you're talking about anything, you can, to make a point to an illustration, you can, you can, you know, illustrate it by something else that's similar. I know that it's possible, it's possible in human reasoning it's possible that the Apostle Paul was referring to Jesus' spiritual riches and poverty and using that as an example. We do that all the time. Isn't that right? So it is possible. But if, if that's the case, wouldn't there be some indication in this, since the whole chapter has to do, the two chapters has to do with money, wouldn't we, we're certainly not obligated to, to say that he was talking about spiritual riches, we're, that we're not obligated. It could mean natural riches. Now, it could mean spiritual riches, but it could be natural riches. But if it's, is, there any, is there any justification for believing that it's referring to natural riches? Well, if, and I don't have time tonight because I'm running out of time, but you know Deuteronomy 28 talks about the curse, the curse of the law. Now, listed in Deuteronomy chapter 8 as part of the curse of the law, it's very... Uh, graphic descriptions of poverty. You know, your livestock will be destroyed, your, 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 uh, uh, your crops will be destroyed, uh, your animals, your, your, you know, your donkey and your other animals will be taken away from you and slaughtered and you won't get any benefit. Other foreigners will come in and, and, and uh, reap your fields and take it and you won't get to eat any of it. I mean, all it, poverty is, is very graphically illustrated as part of the curse of the law. And everybody, you've been around, you know that's true. Well, in, in Galatians chapter 3, it says, verse number 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And, and specifically, it happened on the cross, where it says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So it was when Jesus hung on the tree that he became the curse. Isn't that right? He didn't, come become, he didn't become the curse before he went to the cross. When he went to the cross, he became the curse. And by doing that, he's redeemed us from the curse. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. So Jesus went to the cross and he took the curse on himself so that believers could be free from the curse and have the blessing of Abraham. Now, we know that the blessing of Abraham includes wealth. We know it includes prosperity. We know it because God blessed Abraham and prospered him. The Bible says he did, that God prospered him. Abraham said, God's prospered me. He said, I have what I have. I'm not taking anything from you, lest you say you made me rich. God made me rich. Abraham acknowledged that God was rich. Then when Moses gave the law concerning, and he, and he identified the, the blessings and the curses, the blessing of Abraham 
includes prosperity. Said you'll be blessed in the city, be blessed in the field. Your kneading bowl will be blessed. Your savings accounts will be blessed. Your livestock will be blessed. Your, your crops will be blessed. You'll have plenty. And you'll lend to other people because you'll have such an excess. You won't have to borrow. The curse is you won't have anything and you'll be begging from other people. And you'll be the tail instead of the head. But the blessing of Abraham says you'll be the head, not the tail. In other words, financial prosperity is part of the blessing of Abraham. And it says that Christ became a curse so that the blessing might come on us. Well, that dovetails very, very uh, uh, perfectly with 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might be made rich. Well, it, it, it certainly then could, could be talking about natural prosperity because we know on the cross, Jesus took the curse and we know the curse was poverty. Not that that wasn't all of it, but that was part of it. So Jesus took the curse, became the curse. He was cursed. He took on the, the curse of the law, all of the aspects of it, so that we might take on the blessings of Abraham. Well, go over to uh, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Now, remember, I have a minute from last week. Actually, Pastor Angela said she had several minutes. Oh, two minutes. She's going to give me those two minutes. Well, I'm going to take them if I have to. (laughs) Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. Now, this is a picture of the cross. And carried our sorrows, our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace. Now, the word peace there, as everyone knows, the Hebrew word is shalom. Isn't that right? The Hebrew the word shalom means safety, wellness, Happiness, welfare, health, rest, prosperity. All of those, you can go to any standard uh, Bible reference of the Old Testament and you'll find out that the word shalom, that's what it meant to the Jews. It meant, it meant uh, all kinds of good things. Safety, health, prosperity, happiness, welfare, all of that. It says the chastisement or uh, the, the correction or the punishment necessary for our peace And well-being was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now if the chastisement for our well-being. Spiritually and naturally. Socially. Because the word shalom really doesn't refer to spiritual things. The word shalom refers to natural prosperity, natural blessing, wellness, and so forth. The punishment necessary to obtain peace and prosperity and health for, for us was laid on him. Christ became a curse for us that we might receive the blessing of Abraham, that we might peace as part of the blessing of Abraham. Prosperity is part of the blessing of Abraham. So we see here that it was on the cross that Jesus became the curse. Jesus became poor on the cross. That's when he became poor. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he, 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 he became poor. We know he became poor on the cross that, because that's the only time the exchange took place. 
He became poor that you through his poverty might be made rich. That is a redemptive statement. That is a statement referring to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, nothing happened in Jesus's earthly life during his 33 years. Nothing that Jesus did was redemptive. It was only when he shed his blood on the cross. It was only when he went to the cross and took the beating and the lashings on the cross and died on the cross. That's when redemption was accomplished. If he had, if he had stopped and decided, I've done everything I'm going to do and folded his arms. On that night, he was betrayed and said, I'm not going to the cross. I've done enough. We wouldn't be redeemed. We wouldn't have any redemption. So the redemption, the exchange of whatever he took on our behalf and then gave to us that happened on the cross. All of it did. Nothing, there was no exchange at all until he went to the cross. And on the cross, he took the curse, which includes poverty. It does. The chastisement, punishment necessary to obtain peace and prosperity for us was on him, on the cross. Then it says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, in, in the margin of my Bible, I have to turn it sideways because I've got written on the side of the margin. According to the Hebrew scholars, Brown, Drivers, and Briggs, Hebrew lexicon, the word iniquity means iniquity, it means guilt of iniquity, and it means the consequences of and punishment for iniquity. See, the consequences of iniquity, we, we already know, is poverty. That's not the only thing, but it's, it is clearly part of it. Poverty is part of the consequences of iniquity, and it was placed on him. Was it not? Well, then that has to mean Back over in uh, 2 Corinthians, we'll go over there and this, we'll, we'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, has to be talking about the cross. There's no other time that Jesus took anything that we might have something else of anything, anything. So it had to have been on the cross that Jesus became poor. So it must mean that, that before, and, and this is talking about natural poverty. Isn't that right? Because it, was, it wasn't spiritual poverty that was the consequence of, of, of uh, iniquity. That, now, spiritual poverty or uh, spiritual death is, is part of the consequence of sin. But also the consequence of sin was natural pro, uh, po poverty. And Jesus took that. Well, if, he, if it was natural poverty that he took and he took it on the cross, then... Before that happened, says he was rich, that had to have been in his earth walk. That had been before he went to the cross. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich. Jesus had plenty. Now, did Jesus have a big palatial, you know, house and luxury and, and servants and, and uh, uh, chariots and, you know, just big stashes of gold and stuff, that would have been unnecessary. It would have been impractical. It would have been a burden, actually. Jesus was called to go out and preach. So he was rich, not in that sense, but he was rich in the sense that he had a full supply. He had all his needs met. 
anything God called him to do, if he needed to go to, from Nazareth, if he needed to go, or from uh, Capernaum, he needed to go in Judea, he could go. If he needed to go into to, to one to Galilee and go preach, he could go. If he needed to come home, he could go. If he needed to go here, if he needed to go there, if he needed to do this, if he needed to take team with him, if he needed to take 12 people with him, if he needed to take 70 people with him, whatever he needed, if he needed clothes, if he needed food, it was all provided. I call that prosperous. I call that rich. Now, not rich the way the world thinks, but rich according to the scripture, according to what Jesus had, he exemplified, he had plenty. So he was not poor. Hallelujah. And so, what does that do to prosperity? Makes it a good thing. It makes it something to be desired. It's something, it, it makes it something to, to want because it, it's of God. Jesus identified it. He, he, he uh, uh, illustrated it. He lived it. If we wanna, he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. That means we, we should believe God to, to supply all of our needs. We should, go, we should go through life and have our needs met, our bills paid. Amen. We have plenty for whatever we need and plenty to give away, to be a blessing. To help other people. Glory to God. Prosperity is noble. Prosperity is holy. Now, there are some unholy people who are prosperous, but prosperity is not unholy. There are some ungodly people who are prosperous, but prosperity is not ungodly. Prosperity is a good thing. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. My minute and her two minutes and two more. So you owe them two more minutes. <laughs> Hallelujah. God bless you. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.